0: Last week, what we did is we just uh, looked at Habakkuk, and Habakkuk doesn't like the way that, that God's running things. Habakkuk isn't pleased with how God's doing things, and so what does he do? He lets God know about it. He tells God what he thinks, and he literally says, God, what in the world are you doing? What are you letting happen? Why are you not paying attention? Why are you not doing something? And so today, I just want to read another portion of this book, another portion of this uh, uh, writing here, starting in verse 5, and we'll jump in here just in a second. And so instead of just breaking it down like we normally do, what I want to do is I just want to look at some simple truths. I just want to walk through what I believe a very simple truth is and something that we can overlook so quickly. So I'm going to ask you if you'd join me this morning as we pray, and then we will jump into Habakkuk chapter 1. Father, we love you. Lord, we need you. Father God, we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit fall heavy upon this place. God, that you would do a work amongst us. Oh, Father, that you'd give us ears to hear what you have to say this morning. God, that you would speak louder than words. God, that you'd make your presence known in a mighty, mighty way. And so, Father, we ask, Lord, that you save the lost. God, if there be one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, that you would reveal that to their heart, that you would draw them to you. And Father God, maybe if there was one here this morning that's stuck in sin, God, just this pattern, Lord, we pray that you break the cycle, free them from the chains of bondage. And God, if there's a heart here this morning that just needs encouragement and love, God, you, you know what we need. And so Father, we pray that you speak. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit fall heavy upon our hearts. God, do a work in this place for your glory, for your honor, and for our good. It's your name we pray, amen. Amen. So Habakkuk chapter 5, starting in uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and this is what God's word says. It says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Sounds like a pretty cool verse, don't it? I mean, it sounds like a really, really good verse, like one that, that we should like hold on to, one that uh, maybe let's make up some shirts and throw it on some shirts, maybe get some coffee mugs going, and we can throw that verse on there, like this real good, encouraging verse. But church, what I want to press you with is that context is everything context is everything when it comes to approaching the scriptures when it comes to looking at God's word We need to know the story. We need to know what's happening before we need to know what's happening after We need to be aware of what's going on What's taking place because when this verse stands all alone It looks like a pretty cool amazing verse. I mean we could start some ministries off of this verse We could start some mission projects off of this verse And so when it stands alone and you don't know what Habakkuk is talking about It looks pretty amazing Because the thing that's going to happen is this, is we're going to continue to read the story. We're going to continue to read and uh, this conversation that God has with Habakkuk because this is God responding to Habakkuk. We're going to read this conversation. We're going to see this conversation, and it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything because what God's going to do is use a wicked nation to judge Judah and destroy them. He's going to use this wicked nation to bring his people uh, uh, under um, captivity. And so that's just kind of an odd shirt when you think of it like that, is it not? It's kind of a weird verse to start a ministry around. I'm gonna do something that's gonna inspire awe in your heart. I'm, I'm gonna kill all of you. I'm gonna lead you away in captivity and bondage. I mean, who's signing up for that ministry this morning? Who, who wants to be a part of that ministry this morning? See, another little verse that will prove text if we're not careful is uh, the book of Philippians, chapter four, verse 13, right? You, we all know this one. It says what I can do... All things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Again, it sounds like a great verse. And especially if you've got your team and it's the fourth quarter. We're down 50 with two minutes left. Man, we are claiming that verse like we have never claimed it. You know what I'm saying? Like we're all over it. God, you can do all things. I know you can. Bring him back. Two minutes left. 50 points. We can do it, boys. Just knuckle down. Pray harder. Believe stronger. And it'll be good. And it's really a great verse but when you look at it in its context, it changes everything. So Philippians 4, 11 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. So the Apostle Paul, as he pins this letter to the Philippians there, the believers in Philippi, he says, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content, to be satisfied, to be good in the Lord. No matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, no matter what's happening, I've learned to be content. Kind of flies in the face of our cultural world today, does it not? And so Paul says, I have learned to be content. Now let's think about this verse, Philippians 4, 13, which we love and hold so near and dear to. Let's think of it in its context. I've learned to be content in all things he says. He says, verse 12, I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty abundance and need and then from that he has this little tag which says now I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength so whether I've got a lot or they don't have anything whether I'm raised high whether I'm left low whether I'm starved to death or my belly is full I can do all I can do all things I'm content why because Christ is enough that's what that verse means not your team's down and they can pull it out Your your team may just not be a good team. And maybe it's God's will that they just get destroyed. I mean, I get this. I'm a Mountaineer fan. It happens to me every year, right? And so it's learning to be content in all that God is, all that he has for us. And the same thing with this verse here. We just need to be careful when we come to God's Word and we look at it. We've got to be very, very careful not to proof text, not to pull certain verses out and make them say what they don't say. We need to always read before, always look at after what's happening, what's going on. Context is key, church. We've got to know what God is doing in the totality of His story. And so it continues to go on, verse 6, and says this. It says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans... So that's his plan. This is this work that he's going to do in the days that you would not even believe if you're told. Is he's going to raise up this wicked people. And look at, look at how he describes, describes them. He says, that bitter and hasty nation. This is the people that God's going to use to, to bring his people under captivity. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. So they're thieves. They're wicked thieves that steal and take whatever's not theirs. He goes on and he says this, verse seven, they are dreaded and fearsome. That's the group of people that God's gonna use this, dreaded and fearsome people. Their justice and dignity, dignity go forth from them. So they're not a dignified people. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. Listen to how God is responding back to Habakkuk. All right, Habakkuk, I appreciate your concern. I appreciate this conversation. Let me share with you what I'm gonna do. Let me share with you how I'm gonna move and respond in this moment. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. Verse nine says, they they all come for violence. Their faces forward. They gather captive like sand. They're kings, they scoff at the rulers, they laugh, they laugh at every fortress for they pile up the earth and they take it. Verse 11 says this, it says, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. On their own strength and their own power, they take and they do and they live and they be however they want. Nobody can tell them, nobody can rule them. They're gonna live just a wicked people is is who they are. And, and so that's how God responds to Habakkuk's concerns in verses 1 through 4. This is the conversation that's been started. This is what's taking place. God's like, yeah, Habakkuk, I hear you. I appreciate it. Uh, let me give you some insight, man, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to work this. And so we've got to be very, very careful because what happens so often, especially in the churches, we like to break things down into kind of lower tiers and higher tiers. What we like to do is we, we even do that spiritually, we even will do that spiritually. So there's like, there's varsity Christians and there's JV Christians. There's some that are like, like higher that God can really use and do some stuff through. And then there's some others on the other side that, that aren't quite as, as good. There may be like a two-star recruit. We'll just put them in children's ministry and let all these other varsity Christians kind of do their thing. And so we'll break things down that way. And, and, and hear me, I just a quick plug, just so you can hear me. Children's ministry is not JV ministry. That, that's a great and thank you not even a little bit of jv ministry Do you hear me like that's varsity of varsity if you ask me varsity of varsity that is a vital vital need in the church for us to pour into and love on our kids and raise them up to fear and love the lord a great great ministry opportunity all right that's off that for a moment and so when we do that, what happens when we break these things down, varsity Christians, JV Christians, it just disrupts everything. It messes everything up. Because church, hear me, what God does is he meets everyday people in everyday circumstances, and he does extraordinary things through them. Do you hear me? God meets everyday people in everyday circumstances, and he does an extraordinary work through them. I mean, have you read the scriptures? The men and women in the scriptures are just messed up People. That God just invades their life, changes their hearts, and then sets them on a course for his glory and for his honor. God doesn't call, like, the best of the best. I mean, I mean if anything, it appears that he does the opposite. It appears like he goes, goes for the, the, the messed up uh, uh, people that just don't have a clue. And he changes their life, changes their heart, sets them on a new course and a trajectory to do some extraordinary things through them. Because my fear is when we read things like this, when we look at books like this, or we we hear God speaking to people, a simple truth that's easy to just kind of blow over, kind of blow by to miss is the fact that God heard Habakkuk. God hears Habakkuk, and then what does he do? He responds. He answers him. So hear me. be careful this morning not to read this and kind of romanticize it, oh, it was just Habakkuk, there had to be something special about Habakkuk, or, oh, it's just a biblical character, a biblical man. Had to be something special going on in that moment. There's not. There's nothing fancy or great about Habakkuk. God speaks to this man who calls out to him. So be careful not to forget that this is the same God today that we talk to, that we fellowship with, that we have communion with, the exact same God that we can talk to, and he hears us. Same God. Same God. Let, let me give you some examples real quick kind of talked about this just a little bit last week we'll want to revisit it for just a moment so in Genesis you have God and he comes to this man named Abram and he says Abram I'm going to make a great nation out of you his name's going to be changed to Abraham we know him from there but he comes to him says I'm gonna make this great nation out of you you're going to have a son and through that son what I'm going to do is I'm going to redeem all that went wrong through the fall I'm going to rescue and redeem through your lineage and Abraham says God that's that's impossible that's, that's great, a good idea, whatever. But, but God, I'm, I'm 75 years old, and my wife, she's older. And, and I just love that. I mean, is he not a brilliant man? I mean, men, men this is where we can pay attention for just a second. He says, I'm 75, and he's very seasoned. And he never tells us how old Sarah is in that moment. She's just a bit older than me. I'm 75, she's just a bit older. And he just always goes, I'm 75, and she's older than I am, just, just a little bit. So he's very politically correct in this maneuvering. And then what we have is 15, 15 years later, there's no boy. There's no son. There's no heir. There's nobody to take over. And so what does he do? He goes to Sarah, and Sarah gives him what I would say is the, the weirdest, most awkward birthday present ever. Sarah gives Abram Hagar. Gives him Hagar. I brought you a slave girl. Happy birthday. Maybe you can get her pregnant. Which, in that moment, would you not, as a dude, just be like, uh, uh, "It's got to be some kind of a trick, right?" I, I, I mean, is, is that that is just weird? Is it not? I mean, how do you re- thank you? I uh, mean, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know what the response that would be good. i mean, like, is this a test? And so what we have is the story, it just begins to unfold, and Hagar, she gets pregnant, and she gives birth to Ishmael. And then you have 25 years after the promise is given, what happens? Sarah gets pregnant. Sarah gets pregnant and births Isaac. And now you have Isaac and you have Ishmael. And now you have a mess, because those two, they're going to separate, and it's going to be a bloody, contentious mess, even to this day. But when Sarah gives birth to Isaac, she has, what, bitterness toward Hagar and Ishmael. She has bitterness and resentment toward them. And so what does she do? She goes to Abraham and she says, and she demands that Abraham kick him out. Now you have to understand, don't think, don't think in 2019. We've got to put ourselves in the story. We've got to understand what's happening. We've got to understand the context and the, the culture upon which this is because to be kicked out in this point of time is to be of from a family, homeless at a level uh, which is hard for you and me to comprehend and understand. It's hard to fully grasp what's happening. So so it's basically what it is, is the death sentence. It's done. There's no chance of survival for them. And Abraham, he's deeply grieved. So he kind of has some disagreement with Sarah with this, but what does he do? He eventually gives in. And in that weird twist, he gives Hagar basically a bottle of water and a loaf of bread, and he sends her and Ishmael out to die. Sends them out, out to die. And this is where the story picks up. Genesis 21, 15. Genesis 21, 15. 15 through 16, it says, When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. For as she sat opposite of him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. She lifted up her voice and she wept. So I don't know how familiar you are with children or how often you've been around children, but when they get hungry, what do they do? Fresh Dad, you know what they do, don't you? Yeah. It's not like a whimper or a whine. Like, they go from zero to 100, don't they? I, I mean, like, like, it's a matter of life and death. I, I mean, they, they just ate like two hours ago. And they freak out in a moment whenever there's just, it just begins to Grumble. Like, it's not full-fledged on yet, is it? Like, the, the pain of, of hunger is not fully set in. And they go from zero to 100 in, a, in the drop of a, a dime. And they just fall apart. And they scream. And they go crazy. And it's blood-curdling cries, is it not? I mean, so can you imagine this? I mean, if you ever get stuck in a car with a hungry child, I mean, you contemplate a lot of different things, don't you? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things that run through your mind. And thank God that he comes back in real quick so what we have here in this moment is you have hagar's son who's starving to death they're out of water they're in a wasteland she puts him under a bush and she goes a couple hundred yards away to try to get away from that screaming and her reasoning in this whole thing is this is that it's not good for me to look upon the death of my son can you imagine a mom in that situation can you imagine that for a moment this mom of her baby there's nothing i can do I'm helpless, come to the point of all I can do is I'm going to stick him under this bush and I'm going to go as far away as I can to where I can't even hear him cry and scream and die. I mean, is that not horrific? So he's screaming, and what is she doing? In the middle of that moment, she's screaming out to God as well. And then I think the next verse is spectacular. I think the next verse is beautiful. Look Look at what God's Word says in verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. You catch that, church? We can romanticize ourselves in the scripture. We can romanticize it a little bit. And we can look at, okay, okay, I I get it, Habakkuk, I get David, I get, I get Solomon, I get, I get all of those guys hearing, I get Peter, I get, I get all of those guys hearing. But but who does God hear in this story? A baby under a bush dying and crying. And God takes notice. God hears the cry. He hears the cry of the baby boy and look at what it says. And the angel of God called out to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? He says, fear not for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. God has heard the voice of the baby under the bush crying out in starvation. God is aware of the cry of the smallest of smalls, is he not? Like, I love this. I love this. We, yeah, okay, all these biblical people, okay, all these, these mammoth men and women of God. Okay, I get that. But, but God hears the baby under the bush. And what God does is he goes on to promise that there's going to be 12 princes under Ishmael. And he'll become a great nation. And so you've got this moment in time here where, where you have the world, the whole world, everything in the world, and all of humanity, and God's aware of a baby boy under a bush crying in the middle of nowhere. Church, never forget that. Never forget. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the hurt is like. I know that we've got a list that is as as long as you can even imagine with people right now that are battling and fighting cancer. We've got people that are sick, waiting to be diagnosed. We've, We've got tons of things going on. And hear me God hears and is aware. So we've just got to be careful because the temptation here is to kind of downshift and go, well, a Bible character. I get it, Scott. That's a Bible character. But hear me, the Bible characters are there to show you how God operates in a very real world. They're there to show you how God works and moves. I mean, just read Genesis. It's like a Jerry Springer show. I mean, have you read the Bible? I mean, these are some messed up, dysfunctional type people. Like, you think you've got it bad? I mean, these are messed up, messed up people as a result of sin. So much dysfunction that you can't even begin to fathom and what does God do? He continues to invade. He continues to minister. He continues to empower and set free. That's what God does. And so then the story goes on, and we get to Exodus. And I don't know if you were here uh, when we were in our series of Exodus. And so Exodus chapters 2 and 3, you have Moses, and he's just out there watching sheep, just doing his thing. And he comes across a bush. And what's about that bush? It's burning, but it's not consumed. What does God do? He speaks to him from that bush, and he says, that, I have seen the affliction of my people, and I have heard their cries. God is aware of his people that are in captivity. God hears the cries of his people. And Moses becomes a response to the affliction, to the tears and the prayers of Israel in captivity in Egypt. Moses becomes an answer that God uses. And so this kind of thing, it, just, it gets established. It just keeps happening in the Bible over and over and over again. And I know the thought here. I know the thought. Okay, Scott, cool, that's good. We can cry out to God and he hears us. But the perceived problem is this. Well, God answers no so often. He just keeps telling me no. Or God's silent and he won't respond. And the thing is this, I believe God answers more than we're aware of. Answers yes more than we're aware of. I believe that God responds in a way more than we're aware of. Let me give you two reasons why I believe we miss the yes. The first one is this, is I believe that we're quick to give credit where credit don't belong. We're quick to give credit where credit don't belong. And I want to try to illustrate my point like this. I'm not going to hit anything. Everybody's good, this a safe zone everywhere. But it's like this: There's two types of men in this world, you get that, right? There's those that can build things, and then there's those who pay for those guys to build the things for them. Which of the two, I am the latter? Like, like I've got a saw, but I am not allowed to use it unless I have adult supervision. You know what I'm talking about. Like, so I'm that guy that, that, that pays for that guy to come and, and build something for me or, or help fix whatever it is that I've got going on in the house that I need help with. And so what I want to try to illustrate is this, is my uncle's one of those guys. My uncle's a builder. Like I can remember uh, uh, after my first year of college, that next summer I spent the summer with him, uh, and he's a carpenter, and he's building a house, and like I'm in. Like, I'm like, this is my opportunity to learn some stuff. I'm going to get a hit and beat some stuff, cut some things. I mean, it's like every, like, boy's dream, you know? And, and do you know what my position was? He, he called me the gopher. Scott, go for that. Scott, go for that. Scott, I need you to go get that. Scott. So, I, so, so what did I learn? I learned how to go pick up lunch really, really well to make sure I took the order down properly. Like, I learned some, like, hefty things, but it was nothing in regards to what I thought that I would learn. But what I never did on that job site was this. Walk over to my uncle and be like, hey, uncle, let me see your hammer for a second. And he handed me his hammer, and I'm like, man, a Stanley, 16-ounce, pure as, oh, maybe a pound and a half, too. Dang, uncle, that hammer is phenomenal. Look at what it did. I and mean, that's a heck of a hammer to build a house like that. To do that. It's just a dumb hammer. Who's the one that's responsible for that? The one that's wielding the hammer, right? That's doing and tearing out and calculating and building up and, and hammering in the nails and, and figuring out the calculations and doing all of that stuff. And so what I'm trying to do is simply this is that, is that we are so quick to give praise to the to the one that uses the hammer, right? Why don't we do the same thing with God? Why don't we give him the praise that's due him? He's the one that uses the hammer. He's the one that uses the saw. He's the one that uses the tape measure. He's the one that does all the calculations. It's God that moves and works and does, and he uses us to do it, but it's God orchestrating. It's not the hammer. It's it's God in control of the hammer. So my fear is we ask God so often to do things, and he uses things to meet those needs. And instead of giving him the praise that he deserves, what we do is we say, man, that was just a lucky break despite the fact luck is for pagans. Oh, it was just a lucky thing that happened. And God kicked my tail a few years ago in something with this. Because I can remember we had somebody here diagnosed with cancer. They give him a short, short life expectancy. And what did we begin to do, church? We begin to pray. And what happened? God healed the man God did a mighty work in the man's life. Like he goes home, they're saying a few months, he goes back to his next doctor's appointment and they're like, where in the heck did it go? And like, what do you mean? The cancer's gone. And I can remember getting that call and I can remember like talking to my wife and I'm like, uh, somebody made him. A- uh-huh. And she's like, Scott, what, what were you praying for? God to heal. Let God be God and do what God does. I mean, he can heal. He can raise the dead. He can give sight to the blind. Let God be God. Don't you give glory to something that doesn't deserve glory and honor. God's the one that uses the hammer. It's God that's in control. It's God that moves. And shame on you for praying and asking God to do something. And when he does, you don't don't go crazy about it. And so in that moment, God wore me out, and he showed me, and he taught me in that moment, don't you give credit and glory where credit and glory is not due. If you ask for something, you expect me to move. You expect me to work and do what my will will be, and don't you get in the way. So I think one reason why we, we don't see it or we maybe miss it is because we're quick to give credit where credit don't belong. And the second thing I think happens is this, is we don't really do a very good job of keeping track of what we ask for. Maybe we kind of wax over, we forget. And so as a result of that, we miss all the yes answers. We miss all the yes answers. We're kind, of, we're kind of like children who get a ton of stuff for Christmas, but because we didn't get the pony, we get all upset and frustrated and we begin to pout. We'll see God isn't or God's not doing or God's not. And we forget the reality that God's mercy to us, even on this very day for things that we haven't even thought to pray for. And we're so quick not to keep track of the things that we've asked God for to do, to move, for his will, his glory. And so I just want to press you for a moment as we, as we look at why I believe God says no. Because there are times where God says no. When God answers, and his answer is a no. Right, like there's three answers. There's yes, no, and then there's kind of just, just hanging there for a bit. Just press into me, continue to walk with me, and you'll see how this thing works out. Those are the three responses. But, but I, I want to look for a moment why well, I believe God says no, and I believe it's a lack of obedience. A lack of obedience. John 15, 7 says it like this. He says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So, see, what Jesus is saying here is, is, is if my word abides in you, if you hear me, you obey me, ask whatever you wish and, 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 and I'm going to grant it. But the cool thing about it is this, is this, if you're abiding with Christ, what happens? You start to look more like him you start to have uh, his kind of characteristics. You start to kind of develop his heart for things. So the things that we're going to ask for are going to be more things that are going to really matter in the world. Not the new Lamborghini that I really, really need so I can get to work a little bit quicker so I don't get stuck in traffic as much. But it's going to be God. Take take your name to the world. It's going to be God. I've, I've got this this coworker that I work with that doesn't know you, that doesn't care about you. God, would you start to turn their heart? That that's what's going to happen as we abide in Christ, as we spend time with Him. That, that's what's going to happen. Anybody familiar with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Anybody familiar with that story? Do you remember the, the character in there, uh, a Veruca Salt, the little girl that gets the golden ticket? And what does she say? She gets there and like she has to touch everything, she has to taste everything, she has to have a piece of everything. And, and, and Daddy, I want the goose that lays the golden egg. Okay, baby, I'll get you a goose that lays the golden egg. Where'd you get the goose that lays the golden egg? And the daddy's answer to her was everything. It was yes, every time. Let me get it, let me get it, let me do it. Willie, where'd you get that? How did you get that? And when I, when I watched that story, it just made me think of how much her dad hated her. How much her dad resented her and showed her that by the constantly giving her whatever she asked for, whatever she wanted. See, because loving fathers never reward waywardness. You hear that? Loving fathers are not to reward disobedience and waywardness. We never reward rebellion. And so what this shows us is that Veruca saws. Daddy hated her. I mean, she was a spoiled brat, was she not? She didn't listen to a word, no rules, nothing applied to her. So just wanted everything that she get her hands on. And what did her dad do? Did everything he could to give her that in her disobedience and wickedness. Look at that verse again. Listen to it. If you abide in me, abide means to stay and remain. If we just stay and remain in Christ and his word abides in us, because what happens? His word changes us from the inside out. His word shapes us and molds us. Ask whatever and it'll be done for you. 1 John three twenty one through 23 says this. He says, Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. And then he gives the reason. Look what he says. He says, Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. That's what he, we, you keep his commandments, we keep his word, and we do what pleases him, what brings him glory and honor. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. So, let me just give you some honesty this morning if you're bitter, unforgiving, angry, resentful, jealous, if you're proud, you should not expect to hear yes a lot of the times from the lord. You just shouldn't expect it. That's what the scripture is showing and teaching. And hear me, I'm not saying that we have to be perfect for god to hear our prayers, for god to be aware Jesus, when he teaches the disciples to pray, what does he say? He says, and forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. How? As we forgive those who trespass against us. So Jesus is acknowledging we're going to fall short. He's acknowledging we're going to miss the mark. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be pursuing, abiding, walking with, being in. John nine thirty one does a great job. It says it like this. It says that we know that God does not listen to sinners. Anyone in here sinner? I mean, we're redeemed sinners, but anyone in here sin? Anyone in here fall short? every, Every single one of us, all of us. So the Bible just gave us really bad news, right? Or did it? Because the Scripture, again, the Scripture goes on, and listen to what it says. It says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone who is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So we're going to sin, we're going to mess up, we're going to blow it. But are we pursuing? Are we being convicted of our sin and repenting? Are we, are we going after and abiding? Are we hearing God's word allowed to shape us and mold us? And when we sin, we feel broken over it. So we know that the scriptures here, that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper, a pursuer, he hears him. So we're not perfect, we're just pursuing We're not perfect, we're not nailing it, but we're pursuing and we're going after. And hear me, I'm not saying that your obedience to God makes you Aladdin and God the genie and he'll give you whatever it is that you want. What I'm saying is this, is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is in control at all times and always. He is well aware of the baby under the bush. He is well aware even of us in whatever need or in the midst of whatever we're going through. He is aware and he permits or does not permit. Why? Because he knows all. So church, hear me, sometimes you're going to get a no. You're going to get a no because what's most glorious to God and what's best for you is for you to hear no. I mean, I've got two boys. I've got, two, I've got, a, I've got a soon-to-be four-year-old and I've got a, a seven-year-old. And hear me, daddy wants to say yes all the time. I want to do that, and and I say yes most of the time, but hear me, there's times where I say no. There's times where I I see things and I understand things at a different level than they do. I mean, they've got seven years and and almost four years going for them. I've got 35. I mean, I've had a lot of things happen to me. I've been through stuff. I've seen stuff that'll change a man. You know what I'm saying? A seven-year-old don't have a clue. As I established last week, we'd be playing football every day, eating tacos on Tuesdays. All year. They don't know. So me as the leader, me as dad, me as a provider, me as the, the caretaker of my family, there's gonna be times where dad says, No. Nobody. I know you really, really want it. But we can't do it today. I know you really, really think you need this. But man, it's gonna be good for this need to just sit there for a while. It's going to be okay. And is that not a picture of us with God? But God, you know! God, I need it! God, I have to have it! Oh! Come on, God! It's been like three minutes I've been praying about this thing, and you haven't yet! Are you kidding me? I've even thought about fasting. Now, I'm probably not going to, because that means I'm going to have to cut something that I really, really love out of my life, but ah. Uh. I mean, is that not a picture of us? And so what do we do? We sit down and we pout, or we get ticked. God said no. There he goes again. He's mean and hateful. That's, what, that's who God is. No, God is loving and gracious and kind, and God sees what's coming tomorrow. Church, God knows what's tomorrow. He knows what's gonna happen, and so in his goodness, his kindness, his love, his grace, and his mercy, some sometimes the best thing that he can say is No. No. Scott, no, that's not a good idea. Scott, I know you think that you really, really want this, that you really, really need this. But Scott, I love you so much. And so, in my love, I'm going to tell you no. So sometimes we get yes. Sometimes we just need to sit and pray and seek and abide and wait. And then there's sometimes, there's sometimes when God just says no. And God is justified and God is just as good and just as loving and just as gracious. So to close this morning as the band comes back up, remember church, God hears and he answers. God hears Habakkuk and he answers. Same thing for us. God hears us and he answers. That is such a profound truth. Such a profound truth. If we just get that, if we'll just hear that this morning, that God hears you, that God is aware of you under the bush or on top of the mountain, it doesn't matter where you're at, that God hears and God knows, and he interacts with us. And if we would see that through that lens, if we would understand that through the lens of the gospel, oh, how it would radically, radically change our life. The fact that God hears you. Oh, he not just that he hears you, he wants to hear from you. God wants to enter into relationship and conversation and communion with you. He wants that. He longs for that relational side of things with us. If we would just cry out, if we would just call, if we would just talk. I think maybe another reason why God doesn't answer is because we don't ask or we don't go, go to him. We just kind of assume. Instead of seeking and running after and abiding like he's called us to, uh, God just, God don't care about me. It doesn't matter. And and I just want to contend with you this morning. He does more than you'll ever know. That's what the cross proves, church. That God hears, that God's aware, that God cares. No matter how small it may be, to no matter how large. He heard a baby under a bush crying, and he moves in a mighty way. God hears. And so I guess my question for you is this what do you want to say? And what's on your heart? What are you going through? What do you want? What do you want to say to him? What do you need in him? What about in others? Have you seen things that you need to pray and ask him for? Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling to believe. Maybe you're sick. Maybe somebody you love is sick. Maybe the relationship that you're in is dysfunctional. Maybe you're, you're great and, and you love the Lord deeply. But he still wants to hear from you. Understand that also everything that God does, everything that God grants is a gift It's a part of his good grace. So maybe as a result of that, he said yes more than you realize and you just need to say thank you. You just need to say thank you. So I love the story. Habakkuk approaches God. God, why don't you move? Why don't you do something? Why don't you step up and answer? And what does God do? He steps up and he answers. He answers in a way that is going to blow Habakkuk away. Habakkuk wasn't ready for what God had to say. We'll see that more next week. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. God, thank you for your truth this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak in this moment. God, if we could just rest in this reality, in this truth. God, the fact that you hear, the fact that you're aware, the fact that you know. God, you hear, you hear us when we cry. God, let that truth lead us. Oh, Father, may we run to you all the more. God, give us patience and grace. Whatever you settle on is right and good for us, and for your, God. In your name. We pray, Amen. If you guys would stand, Eric and these guys are going to lead us. If you need to come pray, if you need somebody to talk to, if you want to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, I'll be down. There. I'd love to talk more about that. But you respond as God leads this morning.